can't can't appear to be weak in front of Princess Alexandria. <laughs> Welcome to Gold Diamonds in Depth, a James Bond podcast. I am your double O host, Jonathan Watkins. I'm a writer for all things under the CinemaSense brand name, co-host of the Behind the Sense podcast, joining me each and every week for this endeavor. He's the co-founder of CinemaSense, co-host of the weekly podcast, Recotopia, and was once the owner of his own crocodile farm. Mm. Pretty fascinating story. Yep, yep. And indeed, indeed I was. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one of my good friends, Mr. Chris Atkinson. Yes, we were going to talk about Crocodile Farms a decent amount today. Quite a bit. Uh, but this movie is uh, sadly not called The Crocodile Farm. It is called Live and Let Die. And uh, this is uh, our first Roger Moore, even though apparently we could have had a lot of Roger Moore before this. But this is our first Roger Moore. And uh, yeah, let's just dig into it. Uh, our first segment is something we like to call Eon Flux. This is a journey. I'm gonna make a movie! We have to go back, Kate. Wow, how did you know all that stuff? I did my research. I don't understand any of this. What the fuck is going on? We are going to scour through the history of Eon Productions, give you all the highs and lows that went into the makings of these films. This film, of course, as I just said, is Live and Let Die, uh, which I we mentioned this last week. Uh, I, I feel like this movie is known more for its theme song than, and maybe it's known as the first Roger Moore, but I feel like it's known more for its theme song. I think more people know the theme song than they know what happens in this mm. movie. Mm. Could be, could be. Well, and what happens in this movie is, is insane. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I don't know why more people don't remember this movie as the one where Yafet Kodo turns into a balloon and blows up. Like, that would be... That's, that's the memory yeah. that sticks with me <laughs> exactly yeah and if you haven't seen the movie for some reason i'm not kidding like that mm-hmm. is something that yep. happens in this movie and apparently he was none he was apparently none too happy about that that death <laughs> too because it's <laughs> so so comic book whatever it's not it's not dignified uh i can honestly. only imagine yeah. Well, and based on what I read and in interviews and stuff, I mean, th- this is definitely one. They were trying to fit this around Roger Moore's personality. Uh, Roger Moore was nervous that he was just going to be either come off as imitating Connery or he was just going to be doing like The Saint again because The Saint was a popular TV show. That's what he was most known for, I would say, at least in television at this time. Mm-hmm. So he was really concerned about that. So uh, Joseph, uh, not Joseph, wh- which Mankiewicz wrote this? It's Tom Mankiewicz. Tom Mankiewicz, yeah, it was just lower in my notes. Uh, Tom Mankiewicz was trying to uh, he st- when he was writing it, and he knew they had more. He was trying to base it a little more around his personality, so you definitely have some comic relief and stuff like this. More so, although we did just come off a film that had an elephant pulling a slot machine, but uh, I get what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Roger Moore's Bond is a lot more more of a jokester, I guess. Yeah. Like he he just kind of got that aspect to him and he can pull off the one-liners way more than john connery yeah he really can he really Mm -hmm. can and i don't think they completely nail it in this but i do think this kind of starts what eventually when we get to like a couple films later and roger moore's really comfortable in the role i think this does eventually turn into something interesting uh Mm -hmm. in my opinion 
But, uh, but you know, we'll get to that later. So, yeah, this is the first Roger Moore film. This is the eighth film in the official franchise. Uh, it was released on June 27th, 1973 in the United States. It was released a couple weeks or a week later, July 6th, uh, in the UK. This was the first one I remember that opened in the U.S. first. And hmm. even today, a lot of the Bond films open in the U.K. before they open here. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't see any reason why they did that. I, Maybe it's because know. of the the Southern... Um, yeah, maybe. You know, this is definitely... I mean, it's in New York, too, but, um, but yeah. there's a lot of the united states and this of course the last one too yeah. had a lot of vegas yeah, exactly. yeah. so i don't know yeah i kind of forgot we had like two in a row where they're mostly in in the states i can't remember where they are man with the golden gun off the top of my head it's been a while since i've watched that mm-hmm. one but um but yeah they're definitely back in the states uh, they're mostly in well they're in new york they're in new orleans they did film some stuff in jamaica uh they wanted to film in haiti uh, and they went to Haiti to just kind of learn more about uh, Mankiewicz wanted to know more about voodoo and the and the and the and the practices and the religion and all that kind of stuff. So they went to Haiti and they couldn't film there because there was a lot of political unrest. So they ended up filming in um, in Jamaica. Uh, but they instead. didn't call it Jamaica because they didn't want it to be like Dr. No all over again. Yes. So yeah. so they changed the name to some fictional like San. What was it? Uh, San San Monique. Yeah, San Monique. But they most of the filming uh, took place in New Orleans, and they did film in Harlem. Um, I actually had a, I read they actually had to pay a local gang protection mm-hmm. money, supposedly. Mm-hmm. So yep. that's interesting. And then apparently they ran out of money at some point. The gang was like, okay, you got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Uh, 1970s New York, everyone. Mm-hmm. Enjoy. Mm-hmm. But uh, it opened in 1973, summer of 73. This was a big hit. Uh, 161.8 million worldwide on a budget of 7 million, which would be about 44 million as of 2021 was Mm -hmm. the date I got for the inflation. Uh, And that's a gross of about 988 million. It's just shy of a billion uh, when you factor in inflation. So it it, people saw the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, It also holds the record for the most viewed broadcast film on TV in the UK. Uh, on January 20th of 1980, it aired, and it attracted 23.5 million viewers. Mm-hmm. I would assume, though, they, too, probably only had three or four channels at this time as well. Like For us. sure. Definitely. Uh, I, I miss that, though. I miss it, like, and I, occasionally, which I don't have I don't have traditional cable anymore, but I do have access to, like, local networks and stuff through other streaming devices, like Paramount. I have local CBS and stuff like that. But um, but they don't really do these movies anymore. Like like that used to be a big thing, like the broadcast movie, and I think that was a big thing for films too, because they would sell their rights to ABC or whatever, yep. make tons of money. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that works now, but like I miss that, like the ABC Sunday night movie or something, you know, mm-hmm. and they, like the, you know, like Ghostbusters would be on Sunday night, you know, or something, yeah. and and everybody fucking watched it because yeah. Because uh, yeah, because you didn't have. I mean, there's so many things to get into these days. So many yeah, exactly. Things. Like exactly. back in the day, it was yeah. You had the three TV stations, and then if you wanted to go hang out, you had to like you know, you know, just <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't like what it was today. Uh, we already said first film in the franchise to star Roger Moore, although it's at least like the third attempt to get him because he was he was talked. They wanted him for Doctor No. He was doing a TV show. Might have been the Saint then too. I don't remember. I mean, I'm sure we talked about this when we talked about Doctor No, but that's been several weeks. But um, he was what they they tried to get him for Honor Majesty's Secret Service. 
I think it was, and oh yeah, and then they tried to get him for diamonds or forever. So uh, this was the this was their fourth attempt, and they finally got him. Well, they did. They, they, <laughs> they tried to get Connery back. Yeah, I was about to say they even tried <laughs> to get Connery again and tried to pay him another record sum. To, yeah, I to mean, I think this. he immediately just said no. I think he was, mm-hmm. I'm done. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and and that's probably that's probably fine. Like if he didn't want to be in it, I, I Roger Moore seems really game to do it. So I, you know. Um, I think Roger Moore does help this movie quite a bit uh, when when it works. Um, he's actually kind of, I guess we can talk about that in the review. Moore's grown on me as I've gotten older. I don't know that I liked him as much when I was younger. I think I mm-hmm. kind of preferred Connery. or And then also, like, Dalton was kind of who I grew up with since, you know, at least theatrically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of what I remember the most. But, like, Moore is... I. I I just, I think I just, Roger Moore seems like a person I really want to hang out with. Like, Mm -hmm. he just seems like he would be so much fun to have, like, a drink with. Yeah. I don't know that I get that from Connery. No, (laughs) not really. (laughs) Although I'm sure Connery was fine in in real life. But anyways, uh, Guy Hamilton's back. Uh, He directed Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, He also directed Goldfinger, but he directed Diamonds Are Forever. He will be directing the next one. So we've got three in a row from Hamilton. Uh, which at first I thought was a record, but then I found out John Glenn directed every Bond film in the 80s. So that, oh, wow. So he, he did five mm-hmm. uh, in a row. Uh, and then you have somebody else step in and do uh, Spy Who Loved Me and uh, and, and Moonraker, uh, Lewis Gilbert, I think. But, uh, but we'll talk about that later. So he's back in the director's chair. We already mentioned Connery was approached to return. He turned them down immediately. Uh, there were some other uh, people, though. I got my notes all over the place. I screwed this up. I know that the behind the scenes was talking about like Burt Reynolds and stuff. Like yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, the studio really wanted them to cast an American. Uh, they were, they really wanted them to. And I think that's why this keep came up for, this keeps coming up for the last film and this one. Cause Burt Reynolds was approached again. Uh, cause he was approached about diamonds or forever as well. And in both cases said, I- I'm telling you an American should not play bond. Uh, I saw Steve McQueen and Paul Newman mentioned. I I couldn't get I couldn't find if that was I don't they never tested or anything. I think they were just they were just thought about uh, not and I don't even know if they would have to test uh, at that point in their careers. Uh, actors who were tested: uh, John Glover. He'll pop up in For Your Eyes Only. Actually, is a different character. Uh, John Gavin was approached again. He was mm. tested again. Uh, Jeremy Brett, uh, who if I know as Sherlock Holmes uh, in the 80s, he might be my favorite Sherlock Holmes. Uh, and there's a few other people, Simon Oates, John Ronane, and William Gaunt. They were all tested. Uh, Michael Billington was the front runner at one point. Uh, he will be in The Spy Who Loved Me as a different character. Uh, and supposedly Broccoli talked to Anthony Hopkins, but he turned it down pretty quickly. He didn't even want to mess with it uh, from what I read. Uh, I already talked about Moore was concerned that, you know, this would just be like the same or whatever. So Manka was really tried to make work this around more. Uh, some of the uh, other things going on in this, uh, this was made right in the middle of the black exploitation era, which is why it kind of is paying homage to that. Or it's, it's trying to be a black exploitation movie that fits into this. Do you, era. Think, it's a, you think it is because trying to be a black exploitation? I don't know if it's trying, I don't know if it's trying to be, but it's definitely, I think that, it, I think that, I mean, the characters for the most part are black in the book too, mm-hmm. um, and they actually at one point I even read Makowitz wanted Solitaire. Solitaire is white in the book, but mm-hmm. uh, he wanted to cast Diana Ross. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
and uh, and then the broccoli and saltsman were like, no, we'll just we'll we'll get somebody else, and they ended up getting uh, Jane Seymour, who's all of twenty one when mm-hmm. she's filming this. Yeah, she looks like a baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, you know, I I I don't. I used to think this about the movie uh, after I watched it the first time. It was like, oh, it's it's definitely trying to go for that black exploitation, whatever. I don't know if it necessarily does, but it is definitely made in the time that these movies were becoming popular and they definitely got Yafit Kato based on he was doing across 110th mm-hmm. street at the Which time. Which is a great movie. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, Shaft was coming out around this yeah. time. Cotton and comes to Harlem. Yeah. Uh, there there was were a lot a, of, there, yeah. this was, there was a lot of this going on. And so like that, they definitely, they definitely, if you want to, if you want to call it, uh, an exploit of some sort they were they were riding the wave of the popularity of those Correct. movies so yeah i think that's the better way to put it and mm-hmm. and i mean i think they were trying to insert bond into that kind of scenario because they also like they well i'll talk about this i'll talk about the book but like drugs are not what's going on in the book so they changed it to you know the heroin smuggling because that and that was uh, a really common trope even though this is really these movies had only really started like in 70 or 71 but a lot of them had to do with like drug smuggling and stuff like that. So they used a lot of the tropes from those movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I agree. This doesn't like, if you watched like cotton comes to Harlem and then watch this, they would, I mean, it's two completely different films, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do agree with what you're saying, but, um, but I, I think that was in the back of their mind, whether or not they were really trying to do it. Sure. Yeah. So other actors in this, we've already mentioned Yafet Kodo. Uh, who I love, by mm-hmm. the way. Uh, yeah. We uh, we sadly lost him uh, 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hadn't acted in anything since 2008, though. His last uh, credit, film or television, was this. I've never seen it. And I had forgotten about it. It was this Larry the Cable Guy. When they were trying to make Larry the Cable Guy movies. Oh, yeah. It was called Witless Protection mm-hmm. uh, with Larry the Cable Guy and Jenny McCarthy. I, so he's in that. Uh, but uh, that was his last one. But but. But he should not be known for that. He should be known for Across 110th Street, we already mentioned. Uh, Alien, mm-hmm, of course. Mm-hmm. Midnight Run. Mid- yeah, and uh, the Running, Running Man. Man. Yeah, Running Man is my is my Yafit Kota. Uh, um, Freddy's Dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Hom- I think uh, it, he did, he had a lot of going on in TV too. But the main thing, I uh, Homicide Life on the Street, which is a really which is a really great mm-hmm. uh, television series. He was in that for. I think he was on it the whole time. And then we also, we mentioned Jane Seymour. She was uh, 21 when they filmed this. Uh, I actually did not look if this was her first thing. But uh, she plays, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yafet Koto, by the way, his character is, uh, well, he's playing Dr. Kananga, who's like this political uh, a person. And then uh, and then he's also playing uh, the, the, the Mr. Big. Yeah. Uh, they are one in the same character. Uh, and uh, we can talk about that some more. Uh, when we get in the review, I especially look because he's he basically he dons prosthetics that I'm assuming would take like hours to apply. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> anyway, yep. uh, because he starts just pulling that off, and I'm just like, that would take forever, mm-hmm. man. Like, uh, and you just like ruin that mask, yeah. Uh, but Jane Seymour, uh, I, I know her, I'm sure you do too. Uh, we grew up, I didn't watch the show, but Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, yeah, I never watched the show, but that was a popular show for a really long yeah. time, and you would regularly see uh, ads for it, yeah. I think the last thing I kind of remember her in, even though I'm not a huge fan of this movie, but I love her in it is uh, Wedding Crashers, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> she's actually quite good in this, she's she does a lot better than what she's given, to, mm-hmm. I guess, is kind of what I came away from it with. 
uh her 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 situation though where she has to be like she just falls for bond it's one of it's like we've talked about you know mm-hmm. they just meet him and then all of a sudden they want him but uh that that whole thing is kind of just embarrassing yeah but time. this time this time jonathan it's the cards <laughs> it's the cards That's true. it's That's in true. the card literally in the cards so and so if she had sex with him that means she lost her power is that what that was mm-hmm. i i, I yep. it's crazy yep religions man they're all always there's always anti-sex these religions these religions are terrible that's true that's true that's true uh we've got julius w harris who plays maybe one of the worst named characters ever in a movie it's t he johnson yeah yeah i don't know i don't know know where that Uh, came from no he's i guess he's kind of the odd job uh he's got like a his thing is he's got like a hook Mm mm-hmm and he can crush a gun with it. That was apparently a stipulation that he had. Apparently, they he said something <laughs> to the effect of, "I don't want like seeing people with guns. We see that all yeah. the time. Can I yeah. have something else? Can I do something like have well, one of the- it's." It's so, memorable. Mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, you know, he stands out. Uh, he was in a lot of these films around the time, too, kind of like Kodo, but he was in a bunch more. He was in Superfly. Uh, he was in the sequel to Shaft, Shaft's big score. He was in Trouble Man. Uh, so he was doing a bunch of these black exploitation films around this time. Gloria Hendry, uh, she plays Rosie Carver, the technically, I guess, the first black Bond girl. Mm-hmm. And I, and it, I'd been a long time since I had seen this, and so yeah. <laughs> when I first watched it, I was like, oh yeah, it's typical. They don't even let Bond kiss this girl or whatever, but they eventually get it on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, no, they have some fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was also in Across 110th Street. She she, she had been in a movie with Yafet before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeffrey Holder, uh, who is, I always forget, like, I always think he is more, he's in this movie more than he is because Mm -hmm. he has such a presence. Yeah. Uh, He plays Baron uh, Sam D, uh, Sam D, Sam D. I don't know if they say the last name in the movie. Uh, I think 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 it's Sam D. I think that's how. That's right. That's right. I just always think he's in this a lot more. Uh, I don't know. He's not really a henchman, but he's part of the organization. He's, he works for Mr. Big. Mm Yeah. and every now and then we would do get these tertiary villain characters. Like we mentioned Wayne Newton last week as in License to Kill. Like mm-hmm. he's kind of that type of character. Although this is a better character probably yeah. than the Wayne Newton character. But it's kind of on the same spotlight. License to Kill actually, interestingly, takes stuff from this mm-hmm. uh, book just like it does from Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, the thing I remember Jeffrey Holder from, though, are the 7-Up commercials. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, that was like when we were kids and he was like the spokesperson. He's mm-hmm. been in a ton of stuff. Like, I don't want to, I'm not reducing it. I'm just saying that's that voice and that laugh. Yeah, Annie was, I think, is the big An- one. Yeah, he's in Annie. Yeah. Uh, he's a really interesting guy. He uh, he was, he's a, he's a really well-known, he was a really well-known dancer. Uh, mm-hmm. He danced for the Metropolitan Opera Ballet. Wow. He was a, he was a principal dancer. Hmm. Uh, he did that up until like the late 50s. That's when he started doing films. But up mm-hmm. until then, that's what he had been doing. So he's a. He's a, he's a trained actor. Like he's, he's done a lot of stuff. And, uh, and then, like I said, he, uh, he was a lot of us from the eighties know him as the seventies and eighties know him as the pitch man for, for seven up. Uh, Felix Leiter is back. Yeah. Yeah. Play by a new actor, uh, David Hedison. David Hedison does return though, but not until, not until license to kill. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fascinating. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's just as uninteresting in this movie as he is in all the other ones. Yep. Not that he gets Hedison. Hedison's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. That, that role is just crap. Uh, yeah, it's I, the worst. I mean, that character is crap. Mm-hmm. They actually do more with him in the books, which is, I, I, I hate that they didn't do that in the movies because he actually gets like recurring like storylines and stuff in some of the books. But mm-hmm. The movies, it's just like, oh, he's in America. Let's have him talk to the lighter. Yeah. Uh, last 
and certainly least, although this is not the actor's fault, but I will mention Clifton James as yeah. uh, Sheriff J.W. Pepper. And Ugh. once again, Ugh. Mr. Went and Mr. Kid cannot come back for another movie, but we're going to get J.W. Pepper mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in The Man with the Golden Gun as well. Yes. Uh, I don't understand this character. I don't want to get too much of the review, but I really don't understand this character. I used to think it was the Smokey and the Bandit thing, but Smokey and the Bandit doesn't come out for four years, so yeah. that's not it. No, that's I, I not. just I don't know. I don't know. Who, and he did play. He's in. He's in um, a more memorable role. He's in Cool Hand Luke. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's one of the the prison guards, or he might even be like the main one. I can't remember, but uh, he's also he also plays a very similar character to this, but it's a lot funnier. In uh, Silver Streak from mm-hmm. 1976 with Gene yep. Wilder and Richard Pryor. This become the Clifton James special, right? Like he was in, yeah, he yeah. was doing this all the time, like Superman yeah. two and all that. He's just, oh yeah, that's true. So. <laughs> I forgot about Superman two. Yeah. Oh, uh, but it's just uh, we'll talk about it in the review. But anyways, he's in it. You know, he's he's given it his all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. It's kind of like they took like that cop in Diamonds Are Forever that was in Vegas. It's like somebody must have liked that yeah, character. Yeah. And they're like, we need we should do this again. Oh, mm. we'll get Clifton James from well, Cool and, Hand Luke. And there's even a character they say like there's an actor even that from that uh, from Diamonds Are Forever that may even show up in this. And, uh, oh, and this is like up. the trivia. I think the trivia in the yeah. IMDb said it might even be the same character. I don't think it's Pepper. It's not Pepper. Mm-hmm. It's it's somebody else. But, um, but but I think you're right. I think the main like sheriff guy in that mm-hmm. must have been how they got Pepper in this. And yeah, he's he's a southern caricature. You know, this is basically what it is. I, from from what I remember, he is better in this, or he's at least more tolerable on this than he is a man with a golden gun, but uh, we'll find out, I guess in a week. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Bernard Lee and Lois Maxwell are back uh, as them and money penny. A couple interesting things. Uh, Lee's wife had just died. Hmm. Uh, and so he wasn't going to do it. And uh, they had hired, or they were about to hire Kenneth Moore to play uh, the role. He was a, I guess just an accomplished British actor, but, uh, but Lee did eventually end up doing it. I don't, I don't know where that, what, de- where that decision came in, but I mean, I just know that he was, he was not in a good place, obviously, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and I don't blame him. Uh, Lois Maxwell, I, I don't know if you read about this or saw about this, but uh, you know, we talked about last week. She she was trying to get a pay increase mm-hmm. uh, for Diamonds Are Forever, and they were just going to write her out of the script. So she decided to come in and do that scene. They didn't. I, I don't know if they re, I, whatever they they paid her whatever they were going to. I don't think they really gave her the increase. And then they did the same thing for this. But the scene she's in, which is at James Bond's like house or apartment or whatever, uh, there were some issues. So that actually ended up having to film two days instead of one. She oh, was only yeah. contracted for one day. She ended up making more money than she would have if they had just given her the pay increase. Yep. And uh, Roger Moore said uh, Roger Moore wrote in something that uh, like a biography or something that she bought a fur coat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Furco. He wrote a. Uh, there was a um, diary he wrote on yes, set that. That's what it was. Uh, was out of pr- like uh, like it's. I guess it sold okay, but then it like mm-hmm. went out of print, and then it came back in print later on, yeah. way later on. But uh, yeah, she, yeah, it's amazing how many times Bond producers have made a decision. And they regretted it later, where like this might as well might as well just put up the money or whatever. But I, uh, but I don't know. I mean, I but but the only thing I don't understand about that is they still would have had that second day that she wasn't contracted for. So if they, I would think she would have made any more. But maybe she's saying she would have been she would have maybe been okay with just what they paid her if that had. I don't know. 
Uh, but I just thought that was funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, good for her. Yeah. Um, Tom Makowitz, we already mentioned, uh, he's brought back. He actually picked, uh, they, they started discussing this while Diamonds Are Forever was filming. He picked Live and Let Die uh, because he loved the ideas of the villains in the novel because they weren't as over the top. Mm-hmm. And, and he really wanted to do something at the time that, was considered you know it could be considered over the line by making all the villains black and, yes. uh, and he wanted to he he wanted to take up that challenge um in this he's like he, he one thing that he said in the behind the scenes is is like look uh you know anybody who goes up against bond they're going to be the villains they're going to lose yeah. or whatever so you yeah. have to put keep that in mind during this whole thing and and the thing that he does in this, I think, I mean, there's a poss- there's a chance they could have gone really, like, on a a real bad tangent in this movie. But I think everybody in here uh, has has dignity and doesn't do yeah. anything like ridiculous or anything like like there was some ridiculousness, but it's no more ridiculous than any other Bond villain type stuff, you know? Yeah, I agree. Uh, um, I but. Agree. But also, you know, I don't know. I don't have. I don't have the black perspective on this movie exactly. either. So there, there could be a lot of things in this movie that are more offensive than it were intended. Yeah, and I can kind of see the whole idea, like, oh, you know, there hasn't ever been a bunch of us in a in a in a Bond movie, and but oh, we're all villains, mm-hmm, <laughs> except yeah. for except for Gloria Hendry, who mm-hmm. actually is kind of a villain too, in a way. I mean, she definitely uh you know she tries to double cross bond so mm-hmm. i mean she really is kind of a villain mm-hmm. um so yeah I, yeah like i can't speak for what it but yeah and i agree with what you're saying like the way it's presented and it, it's just it's a bond movie mm-hmm. right it's not a movie that's trying to make any kind of statement yeah um and that kind of stuff which is interesting because you hear like black filmmakers today uh i'm trying to think i don't remember if it was the woman who directed Candyman. i can't remember but a lot of them are like you know like we're uh, like some of them will talk about how they like they get kind of pigeonholed into this where they have to make a movie about like the black experience. And it's like, why can't I just direct Spider-Man? Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. 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 And, I, and so I kind of like, this kind of feels like something along those lines of it's like, this is a mainstream, you know, big production. It's not, it's not about anything other than there's heroes, there's villains and, you know, but, I, yeah. but, I, but once again, if you're offended, you're, I mean, obviously that's, you know, I, I understandable and we don't have that perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, Richard Baybaum also at one point was asked to write this. I don't know if that was before they got Makowitz back on, but I was kind of confused by that because Maybaum didn't want to do it because he thought the drug smuggling aspect wasn't interesting for Mm -hmm. a Bond film. Mm -hmm. He thought it should be something more grandiose. But so I don't know what, but he was, he was, I read in a couple places in an interview with him that he was asked to come on and maybe that was just to work with uh, Makowitz. I don't know. Uh, Guy Hamilton uh, was a huge lover of jazz. And so Mankiewicz actually suggested they shoot in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hamilton didn't want to use Mardi Gras as a set piece because there is a similar festivity in Thunderball that's called uh, Junkanoo. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did incorporate jazz funerals, which I love, by the mm-hmm. way, in this movie. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and the canals. There's a whole thing with the canals and stuff. So, Which those are two identifiable uh, features. Which is, New that Orleans. was a thing that I guess they had a there was an issue with them going to mm-hmm. new Orleans because it was like, what, we're going to go down there just to shoot that. And it's like, okay, no, well let's, <laughs> let's look and find some other locations yeah. to, to, yeah. to put in the story and everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite bits though, is that, that, that funeral thing is the yeah, beginning. It's great. It's, oh, it's awesome. Uh, so I thought this was funny. The crocodile farm was something they discovered in Jamaica when they were looking for locations. Uh, that, that sign that said trespassers will be eaten. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, They came across that. And so they put it in the script. And that's how we got the, we got the Yafet Kodo, uh, the, his, uh, the, what's Kananga? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ross Ross Kananga was the guy that owned the owned the farm. Mm-hmm. So they used the name Kananga, and they used the guy's farm. Yep. And I, from what I read in the scene with the crocodiles, I mean, they're really doing that because you can't really fake that in 1973. And I he uh, he was I don't know if he's actually the one they're filming. I couldn't figure that he out. Is. But okay, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. But he, he almost, apparently one of the takes he almost got bit by one of them. Or, yeah, or I mean, he, I, I think in several of the takes, he's getting bitten yeah. in some, in some, in some capacity or whatever. And he's even, there was an idea that he gave to more, like you should wear crocodile shoes and all this other <laughs> stuff. And so, in the scene where he's doing this yeah. stunt, he's wearing crocodile shoes and he's jumping over these, you know. And of course, the thing is the. Uh, the really interesting thing is the first time he tries to do it, it's just a bad take or whatever. He doesn't get, he doesn't jump all, he doesn't get yeah. to the whole, to the, to the piece of land or whatever. The second time he does it there, the crocodiles are ready for it because they know it's coming. Mm-hmm. So that's why you see them jump up yeah. in the air and everything. Yeah. You see this guy, he doesn't care at all. I, I mean, I guess if you, if you have a crocodile farm, I guess you don't care. I mean, I don't, that seems crazy to me. I don't know why you'd want one, but yeah, uh, uh, I'm not messing with crocodiles or alligators or no i'm leaving them the hell alone uh but i thought that was great like that wasn't something that that they that's just funny like i just the idea of being in like where you know looking for scouting for locations and you just see this place mm-hmm. and it ends up being a pretty memorable part of the movie too i guess uh yeah i, I wonder if pitfall took that because yeah, very well could have yeah because yeah, you have to jump over crocodile heads uh mm-hmm. and, and, or swing you over them a, or something you have to swing over them yeah you can jump on them too as long as yes. their, their mouths are not that's up. what it was mm-hmm. pitfall harry so uh and we we did mention already but just in case makowitz uh wanted uh diana ross to play solitaire which i thought was pretty interesting and Catherine devenu was actually considered for her as well at one point mm-hmm. uh, but then they just they ended up Catherine deneuve deneuve sorry god i always say that wrong Catherine Deneuve, mm-hmm. uh, the very famous, famous uh, actress, uh, mm-hmm. Belle de Jour and The Hunger and all kinds of great stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seymour at the time was in a show called, I'm going to say Oneidan Line. Uh, and it was uh, not something I'd ever heard of, but it but it lasted like nine seasons. It was on from like 71 to 1980 or something. So uh, that's where they, that's where they first were. That's where they saw her. Mm-hmm. Uh Madeline Smith, uh, who plays Bond's lover at the beginning, this girl that like when we see Bond and his and she I guess she's supposed to be like a another spy or something or or a witness. I don't know. There's somebody that they're that uh Elm when Elm shows up at Bond's house, he's like, by the way, you wouldn't know where blah blah is, would you? Right. Yeah. And she's in the she's hiding in the closet or whatever. But uh she told a story that like uh she had worked with more like on the saint, I think. It was on something she had worked with more. So she knew Roger. She really liked him, and so she was comfortable uh doing a scene like that with him, which is not like it's a sex scene, but she's scantily clad mm-hmm. and she's with him. And his wife uh showed up that day to to just watch. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so she said that was pretty uh she said that was pretty awful. <laughs> like mm-hmm. Just having to, even though I'm sure his wife didn't care, but it was still. I don't know. I, I think that, I heard maybe, something. Maybe she that did. She, I think you think I heard that his wife's pretty protective uh, uh, during all of that. So I don't know how far it went to. Like, was she yelling on the set or anything? Probably yeah. not. But that's true. Uh, you don't know. Uh, but who knows? It was a little uncomfortable. How mm-hmm. how whatever whatever went down. Uh, 
Live and Let Die doesn't have Q. Uh, it's the it's the only Bond yeah, film very until weirdly. Casino Royale. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was busy. He was doing a TV series. Desmond Desmond Llewellyn was doing a TV series called Follyfoot. Uh, and then the writers on Follyfoot wrote him out of three episodes so he could go do the movie. And then Broccoli and Saltzman were like, we don't want you in the movie. We're good. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. They yeah. uh, they they just, they just felt like the films had become too reliant on gadgets, which is weird because the last couple we've mentioned didn't have that many. So mm-hmm. I don't know what they were talking about. Yeah. Uh, just some random stuff. More suffered from kidney stones during filming, which, I, which I've had a few times. And I, that cannot, that was not pleasant, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, we already mentioned the the. I think that's still funny though. The, for the shooting in Harlem, they had to pay mm-hmm. the protection fee. <laughs> yep. Uh, there was also some incidents on the set with the animals. Jane Seymour almost got attacked by one of the snakes. Snakes is when she's on that stake. The snake got away from wherever it was supposed to be and was headed towards her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the wrangler apparently caught it like at the last second. Yeah. Uh, like it was about to strike. I can't even imagine. Uh, well, and the the dude that they kill at the beginning of the movie, um, the mm-hmm. one of the agents that yes. gets killed early on, apparently like fainted. Uh, yes, because he fainted. they're you're using real freaking yeah. snakes. And there was another scene where Seymour they put a snake in her face, and that freaked her the hell out. Yeah, and, like they were doing. And then apparently Jeffrey Holder. Yeah, uh, he's got a scene where he has to fall into a casket full of snakes, and he really didn't want to do it. But Princess uh, Alexandria was yeah. like showed up that day to watch. Yeah, and so, and so he's he like, "Well, I better do, do it. it now." She's yeah. watching. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can't 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 appear to be weak in front of Princess Alexandria. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't even know who Princess Alexandria was. I had to look that up. I felt mm-hmm. stupid, but I just don't know a ton about other than like you know the Queen and mm-hmm. you know obviously I knew Princess Die and and stuff yeah. like that. But uh, yeah, I just maybe she stayed out of the out of the out of the tabloids, so we didn't hear much about her. Uh, that big boat chase scene, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, they built 26 boats for it, and before just during rehearsals, they crashed 17 of them. <laughs> they were destroyed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because it's good they built that many. Because I was just like sitting there thinking, like, how much money did it cost to have people build boats? Like, that's insane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the double decker. I liked. I liked reading about the stunt stuff in this. The double decker bus stunt was they were they figured out a way to remove the top themselves, and then they put it back on, and they were using uh, 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 ball bearings, I guess, to kind of keep it on enough to when it drove. But then, right when it hit the that way, it would just separate, and there wouldn't be any issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was pretty neat. Uh, Salvador Dali uh, was approached to create the tarot cards, uh, his but he he wanted too much money, so they mm-hmm. they they went with uh, Fergus Hall, who's another artist around that time. And those but, things look awesome. Yeah, they do. But mm-hmm. Dali did actually create his own line of tarot cards eventually because he was so in, he was so intrigued by the idea that he just kept working on them. And they apparently like in the mid eighties they, mm-hmm. they uh, he released them. Uh, John Barry. Uh, we don't have John Barry score in this one. Uh, they approached Paul McCartney to write the theme song. Of course, he did, and I guess he brought in George Martin to do the score. Although the score really is just "Live and Let Die." Yeah, like, they play it like five times, and like it, a there's lot. a cover version in it too. Already, there's a, well, already like. Yeah, that's interesting too. Okay, so they asked McCartney to write it. He just assumed he would be singing it. They assumed he wouldn't be singing it. Mm-hmm. So they hired B.J. Arnow. Mm-hmm. And she's the one who was singing it in the nightclub. So yeah. they did actually have her come in and do her version of it. But 
she was actually going to be on the over the credits. And I guess McCartney was like, no, I'm doing this. And mm-hmm. I mean, what are you going to say? No to Paul McCartney? I mean, yeah. And plus, that's a huge thing, right? I mean, I think they probably just thought he wouldn't want to. Like, he would just write it and move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, obviously, that song, Live and Let Die, maybe... I mean, I, I, that's got to be the most successful Bond song. I mean, as far as, like, charts and stuff. I mean, that's like... I mean, that's a Wings song. It's on a it's on a Wings album. It was, I don't uh, know. I don't was, know. I mean, I don't have the stats in front yeah, of me. Either. but Because Skyfall I, would have to be huge. Skyfall's up there, and the Billie Eilish one is up there. That's true. And... Uh, and, and the this one uh i think did well but it didn't it was never near number 1 on billboard um, well i don't know what chart it was number 2 on something but i don't know mm-hmm. what chart that was it I think might it was not have two been on billboard. the uk chart but yeah, i think maybe. on the us it may have been like ninth or something like that it wasn't like close so and it was it was nominated for an academy award it lost to the way we were mm-hmm. uh, which is funny because i also saw this where and I've I've never listened to the way we were. Uh, it's a Barbra Streisand song. Um, I don't even. And but uh, it the the song was also nominated uh, for the AFI's 100 Years 100 Songs list, mm-hmm. but it didn't even make that. Uh, Goldfinger is the only Bond song on the list. And then oddly enough, the way we were is number eight on that list. So clearly, people like the way we were. So maybe that mm-hmm. was fine. But. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, you might be right. As far as charting and stuff, maybe there are some that have done a little bit. I would think that Duran Duran song did pretty well, too, but that might just be because I love that song, For View to a Kill. I'm pretty sure the Duran Duran one yeah. did really well as well, but I, I don't know. This one This one obviously is super popular in its own right. Then Guns N' Roses did yeah, a cover, that's true. That and Guns N' Roses' version was huge, so mm-hmm. who knows? It depends on how you measure Yeah, uh, it might successful. just be more prominent i i think it's one of the ones that has definitely stood the test of time better than most like i think mm-hmm. people still like that song still gets played you know like people know that song they might and some people might not even know it's a bond song i mean it, it yeah. you know it's gotten to that point so yeah i don't know it's interesting uh the film got uh the film got pretty good reviews uh a lot of critics though were not real positive about roger moore uh, mm-hmm. at the time they said he just was like Roger Ebert said he wasn't as interesting in the role basically. Uh, and then, uh, and then, uh, reviews complained about the bad guys too. Just that, just the drug smuggling and all that stuff, which I guess mm-hmm. I could see at the time after seven movies where it's always this big shit's going on or people are making diamond lasers and stuff. And then you yeah. just got these people that are trying to, but, uh, smuggle yeah. heroin. But then, you know, it's got a, it's got a very similar like track as far as bond villains are concerned yeah. where they want to hoard a particular item so that yes. the value of it goes down everywhere else nobody else can survive and then they comes in with all the heroin uh you know at a at a at a marked up price because he's going to go out and saturate it he's going to saturate the market it's like a billion dollars worth of heroin yeah, or something like that he's going to give it away so he can get more just people give it away. and then and yeah. then once that's out then he's just the only one who can sell yeah. it I thought that too. I, I thought even though like maybe the Bond films hadn't really dealt with drugs, it still felt like the same kind of thing. Plus, he has a layer. Like he's mm-hmm. got a super. Yeah. He's got a he's got a villain layer. I mean, he's got sharks and shit down there. And I mean, this it's, is the seventies where this yeah. the drug stuff that was yeah. becoming more and more a thing. Like that was becoming uh, a major part of all sort of crime movies at this yeah, point and i and i mentioned that earlier the with the black exploitation films that was often mm-hmm. you know what what was going on in those films uh so and honestly like they did change it that i'll talk about me talking about the book but the the it's not drugs in the book but it's not 
like any better or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, um, yeah, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, but it is also like, based on like contemporary reviews of it, it's not like it's gotten real. I, 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 maybe people like it a little better overall, but like it's never really gotten. It's like if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, I know the critics, it's like 65%. I think on the audience, it's like 68 So it's pretty mm-hmm. even. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not one that people really uh, talk about that much other than it's Roger Moore's first Bond film and uh, a lot of people like the the theme song. But uh, but like I, I've seen it quite a few times and I have a hard time remembering like what happens in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, I always think that the seven up guys in like the entire movie and like is like sometimes yeah. I forget it's Yafet Kodo that's the main villain. Mm-hmm. Um, the film did win, uh, it, it, like I said, it got nominated for that Academy Award. It lost to, the song got nominated uh, the song also was nominated for a Grammy, uh, but it lost. Uh, the film did win a Best Film Award. It's the Evening Standard British Film Award. I don't know what that is, but it won it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really have too much to say about the behind the scenes other than that. Did you have anything else? Um, uh, Jane Seymour was actually on the bus on certain uh, mm-hmm. uh, stunts, and she was like, there's no reason for me to be on this bus while <laughs> doing all this crazy stuff, but I'm here. I'm on it the, during a lot <laughs> That's of hilarious. it. Well, yeah. she's probably also, she's young, and they probably just asked her to get on the bus, and she hadn't had, I mean, you know, she's probably like, I don't want to complain, so mm-hmm. I'll just get on the bus. Yeah. Because uh, it's, um, it's not more the whole time, right? I don't think so, but yeah, I don't, I don't, think it is I, don't I don't know. But uh, Roger Moore during the boat stuff, apparently like uh, in, in early rehearsals for this got uh, injured and mm-hmm. uh, broke a whole bunch. Like, I don't know if he broke a bunch of ribs or something. He, he was, uh, he had to walk around on a cane after this accident. Yeah, he got beat up pretty bad on this movie. He And plus, he had the kidney stones. Um, mm-hmm. But he was talking, I, I saw him, like, it was like this old, like, uh, documentary footage or whatever of him talking about doing it. He was talking about how, like, he read the script and he was like, I'm going to have to go get in shape. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it was just, and he yeah. apparently, like, he had a pool, so he swam all the time. And then he did, like, these really crazy exercise routines and stuff. He said, like, he was just talking about how strenuous all that is. Like, he's like, obviously, it's fake stuff. Like, it's, but we're actually, you know, I'm having to do things. Like, I'm having to run and, uh, yeah. and you know, put myself in these crazy positions and you know he's like it's just it's exhausting i'm and, sure it and is. roger morris starts this at the age of 45 and he's he's already older yeah. than sean connery was when he ended bond so which is crazy because uh, he looks yeah. like he's maybe in his 30s mm-hmm. i mean i guess yeah, i'm not shocked but like he doesn't like and i think i probably just assumed that since it's early but i did know that they were trying to get him as early as dr no so clearly he's got to be at least you know, either a little older or a little younger than Connery. And uh, also, this movie had to cut out its interracial scenes for certain countries. I think yeah. Japan was one of them. Uh, what, I don't remember what the other one was. There were mentioned. a few, though. But there were a few countries that would not allow the interracial stuff, um, which is, you know. But I believe that's all that I can think of for now. There may be more that uh, crops yeah, up when we talk up about, the, talking about yep. the movie. All right, so yeah, let's get into what we actually thought about it. And that is a segment we like to call a review to a kill. I've got you in my sights. Get the fuck out of my sight before I demolish you. What we've got here is failure to communicate. There's no need to shout. I'm not shouting. Why don't you stop your whining and get on with it? I've heard this shit before. We are going to give you our thoughts on uh, the film we are discussing. And uh, this week we are discussing Live and Let Die. Live and Let Die. 
It's really hard not to do that. Like every time I say it, um, mm-hmm. what do you think of live and let die, Chris? <laughs> Um, so I really, really enjoy this movie for the first, I don't know, maybe half of it. That's literally like what I wrote. <laughs> it's like my yeah. first note. Yeah. I'm in the same but boat. But once it gets to, and I've already talked about this in previous bonds, but once it gets to, um, you know, uh, New Orleans and the speedboat chase yeah. and the, uh, throwing him in the crocodile farm and all that, that's where it starts to go down for yeah. me. The speedboat chase is interminable to me. Mm-hmm. It takes forever. Uh, like, like you, you're sitting there going, I cannot believe they're still on the boats at this point. Why is this still happening? And I know that they How long is this a, fucking river? <laughs> I know. I know they're having a lot of fun with, uh, you know, shooting boats and onto dry yeah. land and all that. They're having oh, a lot crazy. of fun doing that. But it's taken forever, and that. Yeah. But the but the alluding to other Bond films, this is. I I thought Diamonds Are Forever was insidious when it came to killing Bond, just going ahead and killing yeah. him. But this one, I, it, it seems like they keep topping themselves. Like, how can we find the dumbest way not to kill Bond uh, in these movies? And in this one, it's like there's the the first time they have a chance to kill Bond. The first time that. Uh, that Mr. Big slash, you know, uh, oh <laughs> um, Kananga can kill him is take him outside. We've already put him in a secret room that nobody knows that it, that we're completely protected in this fillet uh, steak place, the steak restaurant. Like we're we're safe in all of Harlem apparently because everybody <laughs> is in on it. Like every single oh, yeah, person that Bond interacts with <laughs> is, uh, but. But the first time they have a chance to kill him, they're like, take him outside into this alley or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it takes forever for them to walk through this alley. And then finally <laughs> he throws a fire escape ladder at the two guys that are – and somebody comes out of nowhere to help him out and, like, shoot the two guys or, or not shoot them, but just yeah. be there ready to – so so there's that. But then after so many times he keeps showing up and and, and being alive and everything, the croc- feeding them to the crocodiles, man, that – like you don't have to put him on an island. You can just throw him in the water exactly. if you want. Exactly. I don't understand why they didn't <laughs> throw him in the water. I don't either. like they're not going to be they're not there to to wit- see to me to me if you if you're uh if you're wanting to make a show of it, then all your bad guys should be sitting there watching it while it's happening. Yeah, they leave. But they just walk, they just leave. So so what's the point then? Just throw him into throw him into the water, man. It doesn't make any uh, sense. So you know, a lot of that stuff going on, and and then you know you were talking about the prosthetics that Kananga has to go through to become Mister Big. I don't really understand why he ever has to be Mister Big uh, during any of this stuff. Because uh, um, he but, just rips it off for Bond. I mean, I mean maybe it's for maybe it's for the appearances of most people, and then maybe. like an inner circle of people. Yeah. He everybody knows a secret, but he seems to get around really quick uh-huh. in this. Like Mr. Big seems to be in one place, and then uh-huh. Bond will go down to another place, and there's Kananga, <laughs> and then it's like it's like man, these these guys are just like everywhere Bond is. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. Um, uh, but so yeah, the first half is highly enjoyable, and then once it gets into the New Orleans stuff and the and like I said, the speedboat, the crocodile thing, the uh, the crocodile thing has its moments, but like just the idea oh, of ridiculous. putting him there, yeah, uh, the whole thing with Pepper, all this stuff, like that oh. stuff starts really getting tiresome uh, after a while. 
uh the the one-liners in this are funnier because more can deliver them better but they're oh, also yeah. the filthiest ones yeah. that they have come up with a at this them, point yeah. they are definitely uh they are definitely enjoying the fact that they're in the 70s now and not having to worry <laughs> about the censors because uh when he says something about like uh when uh, rosie says something to the effect of uh uh, I'm I'm not good enough to do this or whatever, yeah. and he and Moore says something like, "Well, we'll lick you into shape" or yeah. something like that. Yeah, I had to rewind <laughs> that and like read the subtitle again. I'm like, that is not what he said. That's what yeah. he said. Yeah. Oh yeah, he says it all right. Um, because <laughs> whip uh, so, you would make sense, kind of, because that's an expression. But no, he says lick. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. And uh, there's another one that I didn't even remember, but I was like, damn, they are like really going for it on these. This, but this isn't filthy. But when Kananga blows up. I just love that when Jane Seymour asks what happened to him, and he says he always did have an inflated opinion of himself. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and, and by the end of it, like you know, and by the end of it, dude, uh, Kato is talking about like, oh, here's what I'm doing with uh, how I'm going to distribute my heroin and all this. And like, all right, you're you are a typical Bond villain, but man, just. Can you be different and shoot the guy for once? <laughs> There's so many times. Why do you have to tell Bond this stuff? And why did he have to show that he was Kaninga? I mean, I kind of get it. But then after that, he should really just go ahead and shoot him because he even like lets him leave. Be- or I mean, he gets taken to the crocodile thing, but he does that thing where he wants to ma- he wants to see if uh, Jane Seymour, if Solitaire still has her powers. Mm-hmm. And because yeah. he keeps doing that weird, it's like, did you touch her, man? Yeah, and I think we, and I think we, we get the point of solitaire there because, yeah. like, yeah, it's at first it seems like uh, maybe she does have some sort of card reading power that he he appreciates mm-hmm. or whatever. But we also know that he's never going to accept any kind of reading where there's a negative connotation. Yeah. So like, so it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic there. Like the movie doesn't really want to get into yeah. uh, whether or not she does or doesn't have powers, but we all know that as soon as she has anything that's negative, she's going to be gone anyway. So. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's one of those type of things. But, um, yeah, and, and Jane Seymour, the thing is, is that, yeah, they don't give her much to mm-hmm. do. She's another kind of damsel in distress kind of. They started doing this more and more weirdly, I thought. Uh, like, after Pussy Galore, and, and, mm-hmm. and like, the, it, it seems like uh, they kept on doing this more as the, the, the main Bond girl would always have to be, like, the one who gets saved and the one who's... Oh, yeah. That yeah, Bond absolutely. is carrying is is carrying around with him the whole time and all that. It's weird, like, you know, you would think after Pussy Galore, you'd get more Pussy Galore, not mm-hmm. like, you know... Uh, and that's the that's the soundbite for you at the beginning of this. More Pussy Galore. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I yeah I know I'm with you every time I watch it I, this is probably like the sixth or seventh time I've seen it. this is uh I will I mentioned this last week I think but I don't remember if it's actually in the show proper but this is my wife's favorite not not mm. her, I don't know if there's a favorite Bond movie but more Roger Moore is her favorite Bond mm-hmm. uh she does really like this movie she really likes Spy Who Loved Me though too I don't know which she prefers I think she really likes For Your Eyes Only also so We've watched this one together a few times, so I know I've seen it like a number of times. I probably hadn't seen it in a few years, but uh, I, every time I watch it, though, I'm always like the first 30 or 40 minutes. I'm like, this could be like the best Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Like it has that potential because like you don't know that much about Yafet yet. Yafet yet. I guess you don't really know. I mean, I don't know. I really want to know if audiences didn't realize that was Helm and prosthetics for Mister mm-hmm. Big because it looks bad. Like it is mm-hmm. not good makeup. There is it's right. just, it looks ridiculous. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so that always kind of throws me off. But I, but you don't really know about him. He's kind of secretive. You don't really know what his intentions are. So that's interesting. Uh, Roger Moore, I think, gets into this pretty quickly. Like I think he's kind of got. I think he's kind of got the role nailed down. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, right from the start. I think, and I and I like you said, he delivers the one liners better. And I think just little things like, and he even like interacts with these like stupid scenes so well, like the stuff with Pepper, like more mm-hmm. still really good in those scenes. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's insane. I, what's going on. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, then it just gets to, it, it gets a little like more generic, I guess it gets a little interminable. You have like chase after chase and none of them are that interesting. Uh, there's some action stuff at the beginning. That's okay. But like towards the end, none of it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I love the pre-credit sequence, even though it's really short and Bond's not even involved in it. But I just like how they set up everything. They're killing these agents. Mm-hmm. Uh, that scene at the funeral, the New Orleans funeral march, and that that creepy looking guy. That just like I don't. I mean, he looks like it's crazy. He looks like both harmless and really sinister at the same time. And then that agent's yeah. like, you know, whose funeral is it? And then he just pulls that knife out. He's like, it's yours. <laughs> he just stabs mm-hmm. him. Yeah, yeah. It's just such a cool And then they cool go over moment. and do this weird thing with the coffin that's somehow able to pick up the body <laughs> yeah. and everything. Yeah, and so. I love it. And uh, and then I love the opening scene with Bond. I like that we're like at his house or his apartment mm. or whatever it is. And he's got to deal with like, even though it's kind of a sitcom thing with the, he's hiding the girl or whatever. And, you know, Elm and Moneypenny are in there. Uh, but it was just, I don't know, him making coffee for Elm. Like that just for some reason that I liked that. Like it was just... Mm-hmm. It just made him feel a little more, I guess, a little more down to earth uh, yeah. than some of the Connery films did. So I like stuff like that. Yeah, he's definitely Bond more than Lazenby. Yes, uh, yes, uh, was when he first tried it, and um, I can understand people comparing him to Connery because it's almost a, almost, I guess, like a Shatner versus uh, Patrick Stewart. Yeah, kind of. I kind mean, of thing. Connery's a better actor. Like, there's no, I don't even think there's a question. I mean, for me, there's not a question. Like, I think Connery's mm. a much better actor than Roger mm. Moore. I don't know how good of an actor Roger Moore is. I know that Roger Moore is really good at being Roger Moore, and <laughs> that's fine. You know, he's a movie star, yeah. right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. fine. Uh, and and unfortunately, outside of his couple of good Bond films, I haven't seen a ton of movies with him that I would that I like that much. I know there has to be some that he's in that are good, but I just. I unfortunately haven't seen a lot of them, but I have grown to really like him as Bond. I think some of it is just rewatching these with my wife and her being such a fan. I think that's probably grown on me a little bit, but the only thing about Roger Moore from what I remember, and there are a few of these I haven't seen in a while, but he doesn't have very many really good Bonds. Mm -hmm. Uh, This might even end up being like his second best. Mm -hmm. And half of this movie is kind of terrible. You know, it's, it's, it really is. And like half of it's really good. Half of it's kind of terrible. So it just kind of mm-hmm. falls right there in the middle. Right. But, uh, yeah. but it just sucks that the half that's not great is like the last like hour. Cause that's unfortunate mm-hmm. that you're stuck watching all this. Yeah. Uh, there was some stuff. What was it? Like, uh, we talked about, we talked about, I don't even know what to say about JW Pepper. He, he's just terrible. But, um, I already mentioned this, but I love that. I love that the villain still has that layer. It's like, if you're trying to make this more like down to earth, like why does he have this fucking layer? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I Mm -hmm. mean, that's like the most, 
that might be the most insane layer we've seen. Even. Well, and especially since this guy has so much power, yeah. like there's no real, there's no real reason to have this transport system that he's no. come up with for all the heroin. Like there's just he he obviously can get everywhere he wants to be at a at a, at a moment's notice and a private jet and all this other stuff, but. I don't know. Uh, you got to. I guess you got to do something over the top I if guess. you're a Bond villain. Yeah. I, well, and that's another thing. You're talking about how they set them on that island with the crocodiles. Well, like they they could just throw them in the water with sharks, but they put them on this platform and they cut them, so they're mm-hmm. like so like they're bleeding into the water, or maybe yeah. they just cut yeah. Bond. But I mean, yeah. why 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 do you need to do that? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you could cut them before you throw them in, sure, so the sharks more attracted to them. But like, I don't understand the the platform and the yeah and the lowering. I you know I want to be like. Uh, 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 you know Scott or whatever is that? If this were yeah Scott and, and Austin Powers. Yeah. It, it, it is, it's just shoot him. Just shoot him. I'll get a gun. We'll shoot him together. <laughs> the the thing is, is that like to me is if you're gonna do this, you should be the audience. You should if, yeah. if it's if it's a if it's a spectacle of some sort that you're trying to achieve, then you all you bad guys should be sitting there watching it mm-hmm. happen. And then if something goes wrong, you can you can fix it. But mainly, you're there for the entertainment yeah. uh, of it. And and they always just leave. That's the thing that always kills me about yeah. it. They just leave. <laughs> yeah, and that's not really something I thought about until we started watching these because they every single one of them. I mean, Goldfinger's about to walk out on that scene where he's got the laser going towards mm-hmm. his crotch. You know, yeah. he's he's the other reason he stays is because Bond says something to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. They just they just like. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't they want to watch? I don't know. It yeah, make any if it's going to be a spectacle, you should watch it. <laughs> if it's about killing him, then just kill him. And then, and then there's that whole scene too, like that scene. And this might be around where I start kind of losing interest, but that scene where he's testing solitaire, and I guess mm-hmm. she actually gets it wrong, but for whatever reason, he still lets Bond go. So I guess he was never going to hurt Bond at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he even like, I, I don't know why he doesn't automatically kill solitaire right then. What what's the point of because she ends up at the on the stake, and then she ends up with the sharks, yeah. and it's and then and then of course we also get the uh, after Mister Big has been killed, we get that that scene that not in all the Bond films have done this, but some of them have where you know they think everything's fine, and then one of them shows up. They definitely did this in Diamonds Are Forever, and they kind of did a variation on that here with Tihi mm-hmm. uh, coming into the train, and uh, I do love yeah. that bit though where he he shuts the bed on Jane mm-hmm. Seymour. I've yeah. always thought that was funny. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and that's the thing. There's stuff like, like there is actually funny moments in this movie. Like I think this one does a much better job with comedy than any of the other ones have mm-hmm. up to this point. I think this gets better, although we're going to have to get through one film where it's probably worse, but it does mm-hmm. get better. Uh, I think they finally kind of find their, what, what a Roger Moore Bond film should be. Uh, and they get about halfway there here. They just can't quite close it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know why that is, but you're right. It just... I mean, they, they. I think they're making the movie that they're they really oh, want absolutely. to make here. There's no doubt about it. They're making. They want. They want to have an hour long speedboat. It's not an hour long, but it's no. <laughs> it feels like it. They want to have an hour long speedboat thing. They want to have this uh this southern caricature cop that's in here that's that's supposed to be really funny and and like just thinking and about it enrages me. <laughs> add a lot of enjoyment to uh the film and everything. So. I think they make the they're making the movie they definitely want to make here. It's just that 
I don't know. I, it, you lose all that intrigue of like actual spy stuff uh, after a while. And the just you, you're to me, it's just hard for me to accept how many times they have a chance to kill him and then don't. And they make it a big sequence where he's like, well, Bond is going to have to get out of this crocodile uh, river yeah. somehow. And it's like, we all know he's going to. So like it, it, and, and I guess jumping across the crocodiles is fun, but like, it just, I'm just sitting there going, why do we, why are we even here is what I just keep saying yeah. every time. Why are we even in this situation? Oh, the, the other movie I thought of too, while I was watching this, that's not really a black exploitation film, although it has a lot of the same uh, tropes in it and stuff, but the French connection, which came out oh, you know, yeah, a couple yeah, yeah. years before this, and especially like mm-hmm. the New York stuff, like the car chase and stuff like, that. Oh, by the way, speaking of everybody just being able to be in on this whole plan, I love that he somehow gets the exact same cab driver twice in a row. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Even exactly. though he's left the state already yeah. once. Yeah. And that guy just happens to be able to the, pick him like, up. And the take Mr. Him. Big is like that guy. Bond is going down to new Orleans. Uh, <laughs> Get all the get in the cab and see if oh, you, that's right. if that you get lucky. That was in New Orleans. That wasn't yeah. even in New York. He's in a different. He's a completely different state at that point. God, that's right. Oh my so, god. <laughs> so yeah, I was sitting there thinking that too. I was like, well, I guess uh, you know, if you got everybody on your payroll, it doesn't matter. But I don't know uh, if, if like they were up. kind of going for something more like French Connection esque, and then just it didn't work. So they kind of mm. had to. Because I just thought you, it's. You know, it's, I mean, I like the idea of trying things like that, but I think Bond is kind of its own thing. And I think Bond is best when it's its own thing. I don't, mm-hmm. trying to like peg him into like a Star Wars-esque type situation or a black exploitation film or a French connection or, you know, mm-hmm. I just, that just doesn't really, it usually doesn't work. Uh, and I think that's where this movie finally kind of just loses its, kind of loses its focus at some point and just kind of starts mm-hmm. meandering around. But I do think, I mean, this is the movie I, would assume they wanted to make, uh, but I but I like more, and uh, I'm glad you know we got to see him do more films than just this one, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the series and stuff. But yeah, it's it's a slight recommend for me though because I think there's enough there to watch it to make find it interesting. I don't I don't feel like you should skip this one, mm-hmm. but just be prepared that last half is shaky. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Did you have anything Absolutely. else to talk about? I wrote some weird stuff down, though. I did write... There's, like, this weird scene. I'm trying to remember. I, I wrote the guy that just carries Bond away like he's luggage. Like, they they knock Bond out. I think this might be after the solitaire thing where they're trying to test her. Mm-hmm. And they knock Bond out, and the guy just picks him up and just carries <laughs> him out. It's the weirdest thing. It's like, why uh-huh. would you have knocked him out later, like, where he was already in a car or something? Yeah. But just picks him up like he's just like, uh, <laughs> people aren't going to be able to see that, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know how to describe it other than I, I wrote Guy Carries Bond away like he's luggage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we talked, we mentioned Kananga. The, uh, what is it he feeds them? They're underwater. He gives them like a pressure. He puts a pressurized hose. What does he do? Yeah. Yeah. It's some sort of pressurized thing. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> I can't. I don't. I don't, I, I don't know. I want to know. Who, I didn't really read much about who came up with this. I mean, it's kind of it's it's similar. Well, I'm trying to think. Is that what? No, it's that's not what happens in the book. Okay, I didn't think it was. No, he just he's on a he's on a boat that explodes in the book. So yeah, so this is just something they came up with for the movie, and I'm just mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by that. And like you said, Kodo wasn't really wasn't super happy yeah, it about it. Yeah, I don't blame yeah, him. Don't think so. Yeah, yeah. This I mean, that is has not to a... be the most ridiculous way a Bond villain has gone, at least so far. It's one of the most ridiculous I've seen. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a, that. It reminded me. 
they do that same thing in Big Trouble in Little China, which I just rewatched recently. But mm. it but it works in Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> yeah, because it's that kind of movie. Yeah, doesn't work at all here. God, John Carpenter Bond film would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the other thing about Bond that I hate is that like a lot of these directors that have a a, a very specific style cannot ever do a Bond film because Broccoli is so like just holds on like like they're just not allowed to do things like like Tarantino a, maybe Tarantino would be allowed to but I don't it's know the same thing with Marvel right like that's none, true they, nobody who's you can get the best directors ever oh, for yeah. those for those movies but they're still doing Marvel's thing at that point yeah like that's why I mean I'd love to see Steven Spielberg direct like a Spider-Man movie or something but there's no reason and for in, him to do it he'd have no in, in some ways I understand it too yeah. because like it's it's if you have a if you have a uh, a brand and and you have turned it into something mm-hmm. you don't want somebody coming in and like changing things to fuck things up and mm-hmm. whatever and I understand that but like at the same time you got to trust like people who are great at what they do exactly to do things sometimes and you still have you still have the brand it's yeah. just because you've come out with one movie that may tank doesn't mean you can't come back three years later and kind of like revamp it yeah, and I mean, and they have, I, I should say, they have had some really big, I mean, some of these directors and these early ones even had, you know, directed uh, other great stuff. But like Sam mm-hmm. Mendes has directed a Bond film, uh, Carrie yep. Fukunawa, uh, is that how you pronounce his last name? It's it's Carrie uh, Joji Fukunawa, I Fukunawa. Think. Uh, you know, he just did, he did No Time to Die, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I mean, you do get some interesting film, but I don't really feel like, like I'm not watching... Although I don't know really what a Sam Mendes film is. I don't know. I, I I haven't watched enough of his stuff probably, or at least not in a while, to be able to like differentiate that. But like I wasn't watching whatever. Did he do Skyfall? I think that's the one he did. Whichever one he did, I wasn't watching that going, oh, this is Sam Mendes. You know, like, yeah, Sam Mendes did a couple. Uh, it's yeah. Fukunaga, by the way. Oh, Fukunaga. Fu- okay. Fu- Fukunaga. I think we said Fukunawa, but Fukunaga. But anyway, um, yeah, Sam Mendes did, um, he did Skyfall and he did... Um, Spectre. Spectre, yeah. Okay, and then you had Martin Campbell, who yeah, they've Martin gotten Campbell. they've gotten a couple of times to do the reboot mm-hmm. version, you know, the reboot movie. Oh, that's and right. Then, he did Goldeneye too, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He did Goldeneye in uh, Casino Royale. And mm-hmm. Martin Campbell's kind of a fun director. I like the the first Zorro movie. I don't think I've ever seen mm-hmm. the second one. I saw the second one, but I I couldn't tell you anything about yeah, it. Yeah, I don't. I mean, and it's very possible I have seen the second one. <laughs> I mm-hmm. just don't remember. Uh, yeah, there was a lot going on around that time. There was like a Count of Monte Cristo movie. There was like a a movie with uh, uh I can't remember what her name is from American Idol. I'm um, from American Beauty. Uh, it was like a, it was called The Musketeer or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of stuff going on at that time. But anyways, uh, yeah, that's one thing about the Bond films. Like I I wish at some point, especially now that they have like a clean slate, it would be really cool just to like I don't know if Tarantino would be the person, but it would be really interesting to go get somebody that's got like a real distinct style. Mm-hmm. and have them make their own Bond film. You know, I yeah. don't know, but they'll never do it. Uh, nope. And it's fine. It, and it, look, it's worked, right? I mean, this mm-hmm. is a franchise that has not only lasted 60 years, every single film is in a theater, and it's a yeah. big event. Like, it's mm-hmm. not, you know, uh, they've never gone, like, direct-to-video or, you know, so they obviously know what they're doing, but just this is just a me thing i think it would be a lot more interesting to some of us if we saw like some different takes and Mm -hmm. and whatnot but anyways that's for another discussion before we move on to our last segment uh we like to do rankings if this is your first time here we have five categories 
And uh, our scale is based on something that Bond holds near and dear to his heart as long as they are shaken and not stirred. And that would be martinis. So for each category, we're ranking from one to five martinis. Five is the best damn liquid that has ever passed your lips. And one being the well liquor you had to settle for or were too drunk to care that night. So our first thing we rank is the just the story, just our overall kind of feel about what's going on in the movie and stuff yeah i i I think this is i think this is a three oh yeah uh because it just it's like i said when we've already talked about the half and half nature of this this movie and uh, the first half is like so fun and then the next (laughs) next half is like yeah oh god this is mindless so (laughs) so so a three by the way funny funny enough that we're doing the martinis because they in among the two things that they tried to change about roger moore Mm -hmm. in this was uh they were trying to avoid anything connery at all Mm -hmm. so he orders a bourbon neat i think yeah i know i caught Um, that i forgot to mention that i'm glad you did and uh and the other thing about we mentioned the saint several times he's not allowed to raise his eyebrow uh yeah i did see that that's like a george clooney and like a. (laughs) it's like yeah it's very much like that yes is that soderbergh Uh, that like Soderbergh's like yeah. I'm yeah, you're gonna this is gonna be your first uh not head bopping movie <laughs> yeah it was or like whatever. you have 25 facial tics we're doing none of those in this movie yeah, it was something exactly. crazy yeah uh, uh, but uh but anyway yeah the, the he, he he uh this bond takes his bourbon neat yeah. uh and that's interesting I I hadn't really thought about that I did notice he ordered the bourbon instead of the martini so I thought that was interesting but I can't like he might not order a martini. Like that might not be something Moore ever does. I can't remember that. I don't remember. Yeah. They may come back to it. They come back uh, to it with Craig point. for sure. I, Brosnan, they definitely do because there's that whole stupid like Sean Bean's yeah. like, how many martinis have you drank to not think about the people you've killed or something? But I'm just saying they may bring it back with yeah, Moore they and might. just say, okay, it doesn't matter. But yeah, he gets a bourbon. Neat. What's the guy? He like no ice, and maybe that's what neat means. I, I'm bad about this. I think kind of that's stuff. what that means. But uh, he said that's extra. <laughs> Like no yeah, ice yeah. is extra. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what's fun? It's funny. Uh I don't know if well, this I guess is, they I don't get know. more liquid probably. That's probably that's why the it's thing. extra. Yeah. That's the thing. Uh in uh in that that's I think that's the main issue there. But like I remember living in New York, like uh they they actually you had to uh this was just for sodas, so it's not a, not the same thing, but like I went to a I went to a theater where they didn't give you ice in a, in a in a drink. And I had huh. to ask for it specifically Interesting. because I think the clientele would come in and expect more drink. Yeah. Uh, so they didn't want to have stuff like they didn't want to have like, uh, you know, ice. I guess it's kind of the same kind of the it's, same. It's thing. weird. I don't put ice in my drinks at home. Usually, like if I'm just pouring a Diet Dr. Pepper out of a two liter, if I'm not drinking out of a can, I don't typically mm-hmm. pour ice. But like I've never asked for no ice. And I, but I, if it's a, if it's been yeah. in the fridge and it's cold, yeah, I guess that's different too. Yeah, that's probably yeah. what it is. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's just I, it's not cold. I mean, even those fountains, it's supposed to be cold, but it's not cold enough. But I, you, I think you tapped into it there. The no ice means yeah. that you're going to get more alcohol, that and it's sense. it's therefore more. Yeah, I just thought it was a funny little like because it, it's like one of those lines. Like I don't even know why it's in the movie. Like it doesn't matter. But I guess they're they're wanting to bring attention to the fact that he's not getting a, a mark. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, I'm a three. I mean, it's this is like the easiest grade I've ever given mm-hmm. one of these films. I yep. think it couldn't be anything else. Uh, it's and honestly, it's probably more like a two and a half. But I do think that first hour is 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 like that first hour is like a four. Mm-hmm. Uh, verging on even bigger, you know, and then it just kind of drops down to like a two. So there yep. you go. 
the performance. We both were pretty positive on this. I, I'm still going three because I do think more gets better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm I'm I am I am surprised watching all these in such a quick order. I am surprised at how how Bond he already is, and mm-hmm. he hasn't even been in one of these yet. You know, so I, that's pretty cool. But I'm still only going to do a three. Yeah, I'm going to do three and a half. I think he's I think he's yeah. a, a little bit better than a lot of people would give him credit for. Uh, I remember growing up. It's funny. Like I think I think more has gotten more appreciated over the years. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, but I remember growing up in the eighties when Timothy Dalton yeah. uh, first, first came in, everybody was like, Connery's the only bond more is terrible, blah, blah, blah. That's what blah. I always like, heard too. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then when Pierce Brosnan got in there, people were like, I kind of like Pierce Brosnan. And it was still that same deal. Yeah. Like, like Connery's the best Morris terrible, but boy, he good thing. Timothy Dalton came along because Roger Moore is better than that guy or whatever. So, um, and, and, and again, you know, you kind of think about the movies that Timothy Dalton was in. That's, that was the yeah. main reason, well, main and, problem. And the thing about the more, whether people liked him or not, I mean, those, the more movies make money, uh, mm-hmm. especially the later ones. I mean, this one made a lot of money. I, Man with Golden Gun, I don't think did as well. But like, but I know like Spy Who Loved Me, Moon Ra- I mean, all these movies made a lot of money. And so mm-hmm. and I, I'll, I'm pretty sure more than the Dalton ones. Well, maybe not Living Daylights, but I know License to Kill was considered a disappointment. But I don't know all the mm-hmm. details because I haven't done the research yet because we haven't gotten to those. Uh, the villain, the henchman. So we've got Kananga, Mr. Big, and then you've got uh, Teehee. Uh, I guess you've got uh, Baron, kind of. He's he's kind of a villain. Um, I mm-hmm. guess Solitaire kind of is at the beginning. I don't know, but um, yeah, I wouldn't uh, call yeah, her. Yeah, probably wouldn't count her. But I, they're fine. I I hate. I mean, Yafit is is really good because he's just he's Yafit. He's always mm-hmm. he's always very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's just not a lot, especially by the end. It's just there's <laughs> nothing there. There's just so many, yeah, and there's so many weird things that don't seem necessary yeah. about what they've added to his character uh, and everything. Like you said, this prosthetic thing and just, I, why, why does he decide to go back and forth between I these? Like, I don't understand He's it. got like a professional makeup FX, FX guy on his staff. Yeah, just like, yeah. Like, like Stan um, Winston. It's like working for him, like a 20-year-old he, Stan Winston. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but, uh, when you, when you, when you have, um, you know, Teehee is, a, I think is a really good, you know, odd job type yeah, villain yeah, and I really, yeah. and, uh, and I like Baron a lot. So I would probably give the villains three and a half as well on this one. Um, uh, it's just that there's some weird, like, like I said, the weird, the weird stuff with the outfit in this movie is, is what kind of takes it down yeah. a, a notch, even though it's such a bond villain thing to do yeah. like this over the top, unnecessary stuff. But still at the same time, you can't get that out of your head a lot. Of yeah, time. no, I agree. No, I'm a three. I'm, I'm right at three. I, I, mm. and the henchmen definitely take it up a notch. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, you've just got a great actor playing the, the main bad guy. Uh, mm-hmm. There's not really. I, I would. I, we'll skip the gadgets. There's really nothing in this. There's a. There's only one that I remember, it's and it's the the, uh, the magnet thing. Yeah, it's in which they had to. Apparently, they had to. Uh, to make it work, they had to put a string on the zipper, and they had to have somebody pulling the oh, zipper yeah, as they went to that girl. Yeah, yeah, and 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 yeah, the ma- that magnet shows up again uh, when he's trying to get off the the crocodile river and everything. Oh, that's true. 
gets the boat to actually move for a second, the little canoe to work, but it doesn't actually do anything because mm-hmm. he has to because he he can't because it's tied up. So n- not much there. And does he he ends up using it at the very end too? Doesn't he? Uh, something with that that watch. He ends up using that watch on the very end too. Maybe. Yeah, maybe I I, I think I, I don't remember. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's not it's not it's, it's you not know, memorable. The gadgets <laughs> is not big. Yeah, gadgets uh, not good at all. Yeah. And then of course the song "Live and Let Die." I don't think I like this song as much as most people. I I like it. Like there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, and I like McCartney. And it's mm-hmm. but I, I I think what I like more about it than the song I like the kind of like we were talking about Goldfinger. I I like just the way it's composed. Hmm. I think that's its strongest. Uh, uh, attribute but i will say like when they had the actress singing it or the the singers the the one that was going to be doing it i'm glad they went with mccartney nothing i mean i just didn't really like her version mm-hmm. of it as much it was a little mm-hmm. it was a little too bombastic i guess i don't know mccartney mm-hmm. kind of even though it's a big song mccartney keeps it like pretty level with the way he sings mm-hmm. it and i think that works in its benefit but I, i'm just gonna mm-hmm. give it a four uh i do, there are a few songs i like better uh, that we're yeah. going to get to eventually, but it's good. I, I I would I would give this a four and a half. Yeah. I'm I'm really high on this yeah, song. Yeah, that's a good song. Um, um, uh, and and it's you know it's a rarity rarity. Uh, you know the way I grew up, I heard the Guns N' Roses version first. Like that's I'm, I might have that I might have um, too. So so I, I at first I didn't even know this was yeah. that was a cover for a long time and then and then you know then real you know getting more and more into movies you started realizing oh okay live and let die is a Paul McCartney with wings song and when I went to hear it for the first time I was like I don't know if I, I like this because Guns N' Roses of course during that bridge would always go into that heavy guitar mm-hmm. that and I like that a lot better yeah. but like when but now that I have heard this song a lot more uh over the years um I really like that arrangement Yeah the um, arrangement's great uh, I guess that's what I meant to say I couldn't think of the uh, word arrangement <laughs> I mean, I could be wrong too. Who knows? But uh, but uh, I, I really like like all the different instrumentation and stuff that's going on in that song. And we finally like the the credits have still been evolving all this mm-hmm. time. Like it, we we got a a major one with Goldfinger, uh, with you know the way they did the titles. Maurice Bender, Maurice Binder mm-hmm. uh, has been doing the titles this whole time, yeah. I believe. Uh, we're getting closer and closer to that silhouetted yeah. woman, you know, in the background, the stuff that we know, uh, yeah. bond credits to be, we're getting closer and closer to that, even though like they've been toying with it this whole time. Uh, they're finally getting in, they're finally yeah. getting into a groove there. And, but I love how it goes along with the song and everything. Yeah, as well, exactly. So. I forgot to, yeah, I forget. I do like the opening credits. I like the, the skulls and, and all that stuff. Yeah. I think it fits with the movie. So I, yeah. you know, I dig that. I, I think you're right. It was a lot better than, which was the one where they just showed older Bond stuff. Was that Honor Majesty's Secret Honor Service? Honor Majesty's Secret yeah. Service. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it a lot better than that. Um, all right. So that's our, that's our rankings. Now we will talk about the book in a segment we like to call The Spy Who Reads Me. Reading is one of my very favorite things to do. Whoa! I'm not reading that crap. Summarize it in one word. Now you want to talk about reading? Let's talk about reading. How can you read this? There's no pictures. Cinema Sins might have taught you that books don't matter. But for this segment, we're willing to concede they at least kind of do. Uh, we're going to give you the nitty gritty on what is similar to what you saw on the screen and what is different. Um, this book is uh, hard to get through. Uh, huh. 
I will say a lot of that has to do with as offensive or not as the movie might be. I can't imagine anyone reading this book and not being offended. <laughs> like I said, no, really? It's bad. Uh, it's like just the the racial slurs are all over the place. Which I mean, I mm-hmm. I shouldn't be shocked because uh, Doctor No I mentioned was 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 real disturb was real troubling at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so that aspect of it is not great. Um, Mr. Big is, uh, it's not heroin. It's, uh, it's gold coins from the 1600s he's come mm. across. And so he's trying to, uh, find a way to like, he's trying, he's using those to do all this stuff and, you know, sell them. And, but it's kind of a similar idea that he's going to give some away and then the price of gold is going to, you know, do something and then he's going to have to, I don't know. It's kind of like a gold finger kind of thing in a way, uh, mm-hmm. but it's a little different, but it is more, it's a much smaller idea. Like it does. He does feel more like a drug dealer or something in the book. You know, he's just, mm-hmm. he's just trying to make some fast cash or whatever. Uh, we didn't mention in the movie, uh, Coral Jr. Is in the movie. This is the, yeah, the, yeah that's right. Coral is the character of Dr. No, who got killed in the movie, Dr. No. Um, mm-hmm. but in, uh, in the books, uh, in the book, it's still Quarrel. So Quarrel is the mm-hmm. one helping him in the spot in um, in the book for Live and Let Die. But they couldn't do that in the movie because he had died. So they brought this mm-hmm. character in. Yeah, uh, unnecessarily. Yeah. They always have to kill all these these <laughs> like people who help Bond exactly. every single time. Uh, yeah, Roy Stewart is the actor who plays him. But yeah, he. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this whole scene where. Um, it's the other character. It's the what's the other girl's name? Not solitaire, but the uh, a rose. Yeah, something. So she thinks that he's actually trying to kill Bond at one point, and she's almost gonna shoot him. And then Quarrel Junior. And then you find out he's just helping him fish or whatever. Which I don't know why Bond wouldn't have said, "Hey, by the way, this is my friend Quarrel Junior." Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of yeah. one of those dumb scenes, you know. Uh, and then <laughs> yeah. and then it was like something stupid too about he's like, "Well, you might have killed me too, but you didn't have the safety on," which is a uh, I mean, I don't know how much of a cliche the safety not being on or an off was back then, but by now that's ridiculous. Oh yeah. Uh, so, anyways, uh, but so so it's actually Quarrel in the book, so that's why I guess they decided to make him Quarrel son in the in the movie. But you're right, they mm-hmm. didn't need to. In the book, he actually there's a scene where he teaches Bond how to scuba dive, and it's not very <laughs> interesting. <laughs> um, there uh, there's a lot of stuff in Florida. In the book, uh, which basically they just changed New Orleans uh, for the mm-hmm. movie. But uh, the reason he's in Florida is because he's investigating a warehouse that they think Mr. Big has something to do with. And uh, there's a warehouse bit in License to Kill that's uh, really, really similar to uh, mm-hmm. to what yep. they do in this. Uh, also, going back to License to Kill, and I mentioned this last week. Uh, in this book, Felix Leiter gets attacked by a shark in Live and Let Die. Uh, he loses uh, half of his leg and one of his, I think, one of his arms, uh, and then he ends up getting fired or let go from the CIA because he has, and then he becomes a private detective, and then he's in um, uh, Diamonds Are Forever, the book, helping Bond mm-hmm. out like he is in the movie, but it's just in a different capacity. So you see, you read in this book like him getting him getting attacked. Uh, there's a lot of shark stuff in this book, uh, but once again, License to Kill, uh, Felix Leiter. There's a very similar scene in License to Kill uh, that has to do with that. Uh, Bond encounters a giant squid in this novel. Um, if you remember, this also happens in the book for Dr. No. I don't know what uh, Fleming's deal with squids was, but like he just keeps bringing them back. 
It's weird. <laughs> it's like uh, Goober and Peter's like obsession with spiders yeah. or whatever. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no Kananga. Uh, like I said earlier, they named Kananga after the guy that owned the crocodile farm. So there's no... Mm. Mr. Big is just Mr. Big. There's no like dual identity. Uh, the climax, there are sharks involved in the climax, but like uh, Mr. Big is like dragging Bond and Solitaire with his boat. And they're like getting roughed up on coral, so that all their blood's going into the water, and that's attracting mm-hmm. the sharks. But then, like, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I still couldn't figure out exactly how Solitaire and Bond got out of this mess. But Mister Big's boat blows up, and he actually gets—he's like jumping off or whatever. Then he gets eaten by the sharks. So that's how he mm-hmm. dies. He doesn't like you know turn into a a, a balloon or whatever. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, and Felix Leiter, I should say, he does have a much bigger role in the. Felix Leiter is much more interesting in the novels. Like he actually has like a whole like arc, mm-hmm. um, which I'm kind of going to back and forth because I'm reading these books in the order of the movies instead of the order of the books, which is kind of fun because mm-hmm. uh, it's just trying to like map everything. Well, and together. this one was what the fourth book. This is second. That he wrote? This is number two. This second is, book. This is okay. right after Casino Royale. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, thank you for joining us this week, everybody. That's going to be it. Yeah. <laughs> Also, before we go, we have social media. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter. Uh, we are at goldspy007. Uh, you can also reach out to me directly on Twitter. I am at samloomis13. You can email us at golddiamonddeath007 at gmail.com. Uh, and if you like this podcast and other things under the CinemaSins brand, we also have a Patreon you can join at patreon.com slash CinemaSins. And if you have a second to leave us a five-star review at your podcast listening app of choice, we would appreciate it. Uh, we hope you will join us again next week. We will talk about the man with the golden gun, which will be another mm-hmm. one that's really hard not to sing uh, while we're saying it. The man yep. with the golden gun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not a good song. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Until then, keep the martinis dry and shaken, the Baccarat shoe moving, and the Aston Martin fully gas. This is Chris Atkinson and Jonathan Watkins signing off, and we will see you next mission. I'm going to go get